clocking up the ooms. Someone's going to write in. <laughs> well, hello, Michelle. Hello. How are you? I'm all right. And you? Well, I'm great, as always. <laughs> But also, I'm, it's very nice to see your face because I just saw you two minutes ago. <laughs> We're still together and it's still December and it is still Christmas every Wednesday until the big day itself. So you just have to keep hearing this jingle. I'm so sorry. One, two, three. It's Christmas every Wednesday in December. Drop the me. So will you drop with me? Drop, drop. Sexy Santa in a place to play to play What a hoot! What a hoot! You'll miss it when it's gone, which means you'll just have to listen for a whole nother year. That's not so bad. You've got to keep eavesdropping, people. You must keep eavesdropping at all times. It's very, very important. And by the way, you're listening to Eavesdropping right now, the podcast, and I'm Geordie. And I'm Michelle. So, Michelle, have you got any feedback from our previous episodes? Yes, yes, I do. Now, just bear with me, caller, while I bring up a message from a long-time listener and eavesdropper. Love you long time, Linda. Love you a long time, Linda. And she's also a contributor because we had that wonderful story that she sent in from a first-person perspective, the other C word, way back in season one. Yeah. And really, one of our more emotional episodes, actually, I'll link the shit out of that in the show notes because Linda's story was inspiring, heartwarming, mm. funny. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. If you missed it, uh, I'll link up to that. But she's been in touch. What does she say? Because she's a, the font of knowledge, that Linda, I tell you. Well, she is. And I mean, really, speaking of font, fount, font, water, wee wee, poo poo. That is where we're going. That's where we're starting. Yes, indeed. Is she responding to the episode where we discussed in great detail about where the water goes when it goes down the shower? Well, you do realise this is the third episode where we talk about peeing in the shower because, quite frankly, I still can't get to grips with the fact that everyone's like, yeah, it's normal. I'm like, what? It's not normal. (laughs) But you didn't get the memo, Michelle. It's okay to pee in the shower. I just didn't know that. I mean, actually, when I did some research on that, when you type into DuckDuckGo, is it okay to pee in the shower? All of these searches come up. It's mainly for ladies because they say women shouldn't pee in the shower (gasps) because it's not good for your pelvic floor because you lose control because you're apparently all in the lovely warm water. You're like, ah, and (laughs) you're not releasing (laughs) in the correct way. So just keep that in mind, especially if you're pregnant, I would say. Really? Yes, I'll put a link, people. I'm trying to get my head around that. But okay, look, listen, we'll take that advice, Michelle. Michelle really doesn't want anybody to pee in the shower. I don't like it. And also, you know when people have peed in the shower because they go a bit pink. Pink? The uric acid, something in it makes walls go a bit pink, pinky orange. Oh. Yeah, it's grim. Anyway, enough about peeing in the shower. I say that, but I need to read you message from love you a long time linda she says here okay you two i can't believe you don't know what happens to sewerage (laughs) and then five exclamation marks yes not one five yes in developed countries we treat it to get rid of all the nasties and it gets pumped out to sea or uh for places inland into rivers. Yeah, well, I kind of knew that because there's always, you know, the surfers against sewage and all that. We didn't mention it, though. No, but, I mean, I want to draw your attention to in developed countries. That was her opening gambit there. Yes. Then she says, unless it is recycled for drinking water, not many places do that. They do here. Oh, yeah. And then she says, in developing countries, you guessed it, straight into the ocean and rivers. Mekong, Ganges, Tims. Uh, I just just said said Tims. (laughs) But but that's basically what's happening here. Well, the things you see in the Ganges from memory, Mm. I was there in the very early 90s. And yeah, there's some stuff you can see, not just that kind of stuff, but 
other. Don't you remember there was a big brouhaha with Lake Burley Griffin in Canberra when right. they realised that Canberra Hospital, which was at that moment in time, situated on the lake. Were they throwing body parts in? Tissue, body parts, everything was washing <sighs> into Lake Burley Griffin. Now, I will remind you, Lake Burley Griffin is a man-made lake. Oh, it's huge. So there's no real tributaries underneath or anything like that. So it just basically sits in a hole. Oh, And all those little families on their little pedalos. And when one falls in, <laughs> they come out with bits and bobs stuck to them. Bits Ugh. and bobs, bits and pieces. Ugh. Indeed. Yeah, it's, it's grim. But also, they've found all sorts in the Thames, don't you? Don't you go there. <laughs> don't you go there. But she also has an addendum to this message okay. to us. Now, she says, deceased estates. Oh, that's about the hoarders episode, referring back to about three or four episodes ago. Yes. Yes, because I wanted to lay a claim to the $1 million yes. house that was just going spare. And we did ask listeners to write in, didn't we? And she has. And she says... If there is no one to claim the estate, the government gets it. That kind of sucks. And she says, that's why you should always have a will or have a family to claim it. Yeah. And then she says, see, I know a lot of random shit. Pun intended. (laughs) Oh, you naughty girl. I know. She's funny. And then she says, Merry Christmas. And she did some Santas. Happy Santas. Merry Christmas, happy Santas to you, Linda. Thank you so much for taking the time to write in and clear up those very important issues. We love it when you write in. Just do it. Actually, Michelle, I had someone not just write in this week, but dial in a message. What? It's a friend of the show. He has his own jingle. It's Ray. He wanted to just point <laughs> some things out that I got wrong regarding the Tullery episode about the Swamp Lady. You're a font of knowledge, Ray. He doesn't know much about many things, but he knows one thing. Geordie, it's balls, not cock, uh, for bullock castration. I care little that you and Michelle got that wrong, but I just wanted to say balls, not cock. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for clearing it up. Balls, not cock. Balls, not cock. And do you know what? I say balls to that cock up. Thank you very much, Ray. Thanks, Ray. He really does have a voice for radio, doesn't he? Oh, he really does. Does he have a face for radio? I don't know. Old Ray's handsome, isn't he? Michelle, it's been some time since we spoke about ghosty woasties, and I want to tell you some stuff about that today. Would you like to hear? You know I do, because I love the supernatural, the paranormal. I'm all up for the ghosts. You ready to be scared? Ready to go. (laughs) I don't know. I'm just thinking. I'm thinking about what Ray said to me. I'm all cock-a-balls right now. I'm cock-a-hootle. I actually got really scared in the last six weeks. I've been listening to a series on Radio 4 by Danny Robbins, who is actually, he did the Battersea Poltergeist BBC Radio 4 dramatisation. And he also wrote the play 222, A Ghost Story, which was starring Lily Allen when it first came out on the West End. He's very handsome, Danny Robbins, in a kind of Brian Cox meets Neil Gaiman kind of way. That's your style. Is it? So you're, what you're saying is it's not yours. Uh, no, not really. <laughs> I, th- I didn't realise he was so young looking. I imagined him to be a little bit like Harry Potter from his voice. But then I saw him and I thought, yeah, he looks good. Anyway, Danny, that aside, he's a married man. Leave him alone. <laughs> when you say Brian Cox, you mean the guy from Succession? or no. The scientist? Professor. Professor Brian Cox, I meant to say. Because I thought... She means the scientist, and I thought, yeah. oh, but maybe she means the old dad in in. I mean, all the Brian Coxes. No, just the one, just the professor. Yeah, that kind of dark, floppy hair. But listen, he's done another one, Michelle. It's called Witch Farm, and it's so good. And if anybody's listening to it or hasn't heard it yet, I apologise in advance because I'm going to ruin it for you. I'm going to tell you all about it. So it's one of those things that's like a dramatisation and also Danny interjecting doing his little experiments to see because he's actually a skeptic he doesn't know even though he's fascinated with and correct me Danny if I'm wrong he's fascinated (laughs) by ghosts and the paranormal but he never actually admits to believing in ghosts or not okay so he's being quite objective objective that's the word okay yeah he's doing this story and he's brought on board once again the parapsychologists Evelyn Hollow and Kieran O'Keefe Kieran's the skeptic he's the actual psychologist whereas Evelyn is a paranormal expert so they all get together and they try to figure out what's going on in this story as does the general public they write in 
week in, week out as it carries on with their ideas and their kind of hypotheses about what might be happening to these poor people. But let me tell you what it's about. Before we launch into this, I did hear you and now I've forgotten. Is this a dramatisation of real life events or is it a fiction? It's true. True life. True life. It really happened. In fact, what I'm going to talk to you about today has been known as Britain's Amateurville Horror. What? Horror. <laughs> horror. Oh, my God. Danny actually told the big issue that this is like a plunge bath of pure terror. <laughs> okay. It's like a very bad sauna. <laughs> okay. Do you remember the Amateurville Horror? Yes. I think Jen had the book and it was one of those black covers with red and gold embossed and it was scary. It looked like Satan. Well, I don't remember the cover and I've never seen the story, but I have heard many a murder podcast retell the stories Mm. and there are more than one stories about the Amateurville and it's fascinating. But we can talk about that at the end of this episode, Michelle, because right now I'm going to take you to 1989. The Brecon Beacons in Wales. Beautiful. In fact, it's not far from where there's a great festival called The Green Man. I've had some fun there. And there's a couple, Liz and Bill Rich. Now, she is actually from Wales, so they've decided to return there. Bill's been married before. He's got his 14-year-old son in tow, Lawrence, from his previous marriage. Liz, at this point, is pregnant, heavily pregnant with their first child. And Bill and Liz and 14-year-old Lawrence, they moved to this rented cottage in Wales, and it's an old stone farmhouse converted from an ancient barn. Bill is an artist, and Liz's mother lives about 50 miles away in a town. And they basically wanted to live the good life. They're, I think they're quite bohemian, this couple, and quite free-spirited. They didn't want any distractions, and they arrived at this new home with excitement for the future. The actual estate is called Hail Fanag, which is a Welsh word, and I can't remember what it actually means. Hail Fanag right? Mm -hmm. H-E-O-L-F-A-N-O-G. So they've turned up at this place and one of the things they first noticed was there was a strange quality to it, as though they were in a bubble that was strangely silent Mm. and kind of weird. But they loved it and they settled in there in the summer and then they welcomed the birth of their baby boy, Ben. But things didn't turn out the way they planned, Michelle, because the cottage was as haunted as fuck, basically. (laughs) So gradually, bit by bit, they became aware of this. They had a neighbour, a very grumpy neighbour called Wynne Thomas, who's a Welsh farmer. He turned up quite quickly. Oh, the bloody English. Here you come. Oh, these people always coming here, renting farmhouses, thinking they're the bloody hippies or whatever. Well, he didn't think much of them, but he made sure to tell them quite early on Mm -hmm. that that house was built from old gravestones. Oh, no. Yep. The stone used to build the cottage itself was made of actual stones of the gravestones. And if you remember, Michelle, we've talked about stone tape theories before, and I should have rung Danny Robbins and told him this when I was listening. But stone tape theory was, is this wonderful idea that memories of lives past get kind of embedded in the stone and they can kind of seep out, the energy can seep out, and that can cause hauntings. That's really interesting. And I feel in some ways... Reusing stone, I get it ecologically, like you want to reuse what nature has provided. However, they've done this in Sweden and they gave the cemetery a revamp. And in Sweden, you have to pay for your gravestone and the maintenance every year. So, you know, it's not like a one and done situation and you get in trouble if you don't tend the grave. It's all run by the Swedish church across all of Sweden. I know this. And I'm not just making it up that it's Andreas's family. This is the whole Swedish thing. <laughs> and there are lots of gravestones where people just stop paying to keep the upkeep on it. So what do they do with the stones? They ripped up the <gasps> headstones, crushed them all up and wow. made a new fence around uh, the whole cemetery, which you wouldn't really have known they'd done it because it's like this wire cage. But then you see the gold writing of people's oh. headstones. That's outward facing. Wow. I'm not sure how I feel about that. I think it's creepy. And I do think that if houses can be haunted, gravestones certainly can be haunted. And mm. and I don't know how I would feel about my loved one's gravestone being crunched up and turned into a fence. Or worse, a house being built from it. Interesting. Well, just keep that in mind as I tell you the rest of this story. So the willies have been put right up them by Wynne Thomas, basically. Mm. And then in the autumn, Bill noticed thudding footsteps running down the stairs, followed by their first electricity bill. 
which was sky high. Now, that might not seem so odd now because mm-hmm. we're in an energy crisis in this country, the UK, but actually this family didn't use much electricity and the bill was saying it was about £750 for just three months. That's the equivalent of almost £2,000 in today's money. That's, That's outrageous. A lot. Other things that the couple noticed were doors slamming for no reason, like, for example, when the door was already shut oh dear so they were getting some noises thudding up and down the hallway up and down the stairs they also noticed extreme hot spots and equally freezing cold spots in the house as well Well, i don't know how that's possible with a 700 quid electricity bill so very well exactly and also nasty smells equally foul and pleasant by equal measures so they had the stench of sulfur But then they could also smell the distinct aroma of incense. So like the extreme hot and cold, you also had the sulfur and the incense. So they're kind of two opposites. What's going on here? They'd be appearing and disappearing frequently. And of course, then they could hear the whirring sound of their electricity meter going, clocking up the ooms. What do you call it? (laughs) Someone's going to write in. Yeah, what is it? Uh, Kilowatts. Kilowatts. Yes. Clocking those up. I just heard a funny noise in here. Oh, no. I got a ghost. So all of this was going on. It was freaking them out. Was it paranormal activity? Who knows? Then they became aware of two sets of footsteps. There was the heavy ones, but there's also a lighter pair of footsteps as well. Mm-hmm. And there's no doubt because both the couple were hearing it and also Lawrence, I expect, was hearing it as well. And it was relentless. This family were absolutely beside themselves with fright and fear. Bill's livelihood was suffering as well. Suddenly, all his clients began to call and cancel their orders because he was making crafty kind of gifty things right. to, to supplement his artist's income. They were ringing to cancel and it's almost as if they didn't even know why they were cancelling. It was very odd. Hmm. Then the financial pressure was being put on them too. So eventually they had to get somebody from the electricity board in because this electricity bill was outrageous. And of course they couldn't afford to pay it. So this guy turned up to see what was going on and why there was so much electricity being used. Was somebody siphoning it off? Yeah. Or, you know, it could be anything. But he looked around and he couldn't see any reason why there was such intense bursts of electricity going on in the house. So he said, look, I can't find any reason for it. You're just going to have to pay it. Oh, no. Around this time, Bill's son, Lawrence, who is 14 and a teenager, and they are prone to bad behaviour, but this guy was a really sweet kid. But he started to change. Yeah. His personality, like more, most teenagers, was starting to get a little bit kind of aggressive and moody. And But once when Bill's mother came to stay, he actually spat in her face. <gasps> and as he ran off, Bill chased him to talk to him and his voice seemed to sound different, a bit demonic. Ooh. So at this point, Bill's conv- convinced that Lawrence is possessed. possessed and we've got ourselves a little poltergeist situation going on. Bill's also quite stressed out about all this and he starts to hit the bottle quite seriously he's devastated by what's going on with his family can i just ask why didn't they get the fuck out of that house i know well everybody's asking that question throughout the whole series but one they didn't have any money two they didn't have anywhere to go i guess they just thought i I don't know why they didn't they stayed there for a long time michelle as you'll find out when they first moved there to Hale Fanuc, they had this dream of having lots of animals so they quickly filled up that barn with lovely animals in particular a sweet pig by the name of Lucinda. Oh. And Lucinda was lovely mm-hmm. until one day when she wasn't lovely anymore and she tried to kill Liz. Oh, she my went God. feral and went nuts. Yeah. Very unlike Lucinda. But this behaviour had been exacerbating for about six weeks and eventually it was crisis time. So they called Wynne Thomas over again and he came around and put Lucinda out of her misery. Oh. And Lucinda wasn't the only animal to act strangely either. In the whole time that they were there, they lost two cats, a guinea pig, a dog, and a herd of goats. They all died. Oh, Strange my God. deaths where they'd gone a bit mad and feral beforehand. Liz told Danny, because she met him and she's part of this series, mm. Liz called it a hellhole. I think it's a shithole. I mean, it sounds <laughs> fucking terrifying. And again, Jordi, I'm just going to say... Why did they not, not get move? the fuck out? It just it doesn't make any sense. Even if you've got no money, you just think, I need to find the money because I can't afford this electricity bill. So I need to find a place mm. where I can afford the electricity. Absolutely. 
they carried on living there, basically, Michelle. Otherwise, I'd be finishing this story by now. <laughs> no, they didn't move out. I don't know why. And one day they had to call a plumber because the toilet had pushed itself up from the tiles where it was sitting. Oh, my God. And all the tiles around it was broken. So they called this plumber. And when the guy got there, it was all fine. <gasps> There was nothing wrong with the toilet at all. It was weird. So he left. And when he left, the same thing happened. The toilet kind of like came up from its casing, if you like, in the floor. Yeah. And all the tiles cracked again. It's so strange. Then he came back. And again, it was fine. But at this point, he confessed to Bill and Liz that he had been in the property before. And the last time it was with the previous tenants putting the radiators in. And he had a plumber's lad with him who, at the time, refused to come back to do any more jobs there. Because when he was alone in the house, he felt as though he was being watched. He installed the radiators and then the tenants called him to come back because the minute he left, all the radiators had come off the wall. <gasps> so he came back because he knows he did a good job. He was just really wondering what the fuck happened. He came back. There, he fixed them again. Left. Same bloody thing happened again. No. In fact, it continually, night after night, the, the radiators were being pulled off the wall. That's what the plumber says anyway. <laughs> Shortly after this, Liz comes face to face with an old lady in her house. She's got baby Ben. She walks in. She sees a woman standing on the landing and she stares right at her. No. This woman, she's not real. She's a ghost. Liz knows that. But she's a modern ghost. She's wearing like regular clothes and stuff. Oh, shit. So this is awful. She's beside herself. Now she's seen something. Yeah. Then there was another time where she walked into the baby's nursery and the same woman was sitting in the armchair watching the baby in the cot. Oh, my God, creepy. Because she knows that the presence in the house is not nice. Yeah. But she did feel like the old lady was not scary. Yeah. But she didn't feel that she was there to hurt her. Old lady didn't have bad juju. And she seemed like she was quite sad, actually. Mm. She went about to search for clues about this woman and she went to the local archives and met a historian called Bethan Morgan, who knows all about the local area. Between Bethan and Liz, they uncovered some information about the couple's landlord's mother, Marion Holborn. So she had previously owned the property and then passed it down to her son, who was actually Bill and Liz's now landlord. Mm -hmm. So apparently Marion Holborn also experienced strange phenomena while she was living at the property. So this has been going on for a long time. Exactly. Then Bethan showed pictures of Marion in the house to Liz and Liz was thinking, oh, this would be interesting. And she almost fell off a chair because the old lady she'd been seeing in the cottage was Marion. Right. No doubt in her mind. Oh, my God. And then she did some further digging to discover because obviously some of the furniture was left there before. Mm. That armchair was Marion's. Oh. Isn't that weird? It is weird. But kind of not shocking when you kind of make those connections. Mm. You're just like, yeah, that's her house. At this point, I'm out of there. I'm gone. You know? Yeah. Fuck it. And and why would you leave your baby in a room unattended in a haunted house? I don't know. I just, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't. <laughs> Maybe they forget that it's haunted. Maybe they get lulled into a false sense of security and then the shit starts kicking off again. There's another baby. Late 1990, they have baby Rebecca, but the haunting was continuing. So eventually there was a paranormal expert who turned up called Larry Harry. Larry That's Harry. I love it. <laughs> he brought with him a pair of Dutch paranormal experts and they toured the house. And before long, they saw four ghostly things. There was the old lady Marion. Mm -hmm. Then there was two men fighting. Oh. Yeah. The fourth was a huge dark presence that attached itself to Lawrence. This is what they say they saw, these paranormal experts. No. Mm -hmm. So Larry Harry and his Dutch friends, they went about clearing the house. They put a psychic wall around it. But they also said that Lawrence was the reason why they were being haunted and that they needed to send him away. Liz was like, no way. He's part of this family. But Bill was determined he said yeah he's the reason all this is happening to us and he sent him away to a lodging house this poor kid 14 year old jesus 15 Christ. year old at this point yeah that's outrageous i know and then for a little while everything felt better but another thing that the paranormal experts said they saw was a group of witches as apparitions they came back a few weeks later and then they said listen we've just seen something else we've seen a group of witches with tall hats 
this is where Danny Robbins talks to his paranormal experts and they say, well, you know, if they're looking at some historical pictures of the area, the Welsh national dress is tall hats. Okay. They might be trying to say there's witches, but it could just be some old, you know, national dressed Welsh people (laughs) milling about. (laughs) But anyway, they say they saw a group of witches as apparitions wearing tall hats and that huge dark presence, it wasn't attached to Lawrence at all. No. It was attached to Bill. Oh, no. No. So they sent their child away, 14 years old. Yeah. I mean, I guess I can understand why Bill would have thought. Well, he was much happier where he was anyway. It was oppressive in that house, you know, it's terrible. But I guess I can understand why Bill might have thought Lawrence was possessed because he did have that time where the voice that came out of his kid's mouth was not his own and spat on the grandma all that stuff so yeah and and quite often it is the child isn't it it's Mm. the teen that that age that's when they say that a lot of poltergeist hauntings do occur and especially in all the american horror movies it's always the teenagers who are it's always the teenagers (laughs) so welsh farmer win thomas turns up again now he's decided that he wants to pay bill a generous sum, to paint a portrait of his favourite horse, Echo. Okay. Which is odd. So he turns up and he says, oh, it's okay. No, we want you to paint um, this picture of uh, my beautiful horse, Echo. So that was just the thing they needed because they were on their asses financially. So Bill, he became completely obsessed. He was painting, painting, painting night after night. He couldn't get the back leg right. It was really annoying him. He kept scrubbing it out and repainting it, scrubbing it out, repainting it. He's drinking like a fish at this point. And then he went out there one day looking for a view and he actually bumped into Wynne Thomas on this occasion. Well, he did in the dramatization. I don't know if he did in real life. He bumped into wind as he was choosing this kind of scenic view, which he thought was beautiful, for the backdrop Mm -hmm. of the horse's portrait. When Thomas told him there had been a blight on the livestock. Don't forget that all this paranormal activity had ceased at this point because we'd just had Larry Harry and the Dutch guys. They kind of cleansed it, put a psychic wall up. Everything was nice. Lawrence had been sent away. All gone nice and quiet now. But if Bill was the one possessed, did they do something to Bill? No, they just told him that there was a presence attached to him. Then he bumps into Wynne after having this lovely windfall of some work. And Wynne Thomas tells him that recently there'd been a lot of trouble on all the nearby neighbouring farms. There'd been a blight on the uh, livestock where lambs and calves were being born blind. And a lot of people were losing a lot of money. So Bill is left feeling like, oh, shit, do we send that energy (gasps) to other people? He's feeling really guilty. So anyway, he carries on painting. He finishes it. They get paid handsomely. And then one night after the painting was delivered to Win Thomas, Win Thomas calls him distressed. What's happened? Well, he says that the horse, Echo, had had a fall and twisted its leg. Bill said, which leg? And he said it was the back right one. And he was like, oh, my God. Bill's thinking, that's the one I couldn't get right. Get right. And, and he was blaming Bill. <gasps> he said, this is your fault. And Bill's like, why is it my fault? He said, because we found her in the ditch in the exact spot that you have chosen for the backdrop. <gasps> so as far as they were concerned, Bill had made that happen. Oh, my God. She like, had a fall, fallen into a ditch and just died overnight. Really sad. No. Oh, that's so creepy. What an eerie coincidence. Yep. Or is it? So at this point, Liz and Bill are having nightmares nightly, the same ones, where they're trying to leave the house, but this invisible force kind of keeps them there. You know, they've got two young children. They're probably really bloody stressed out, not getting much sleep at all. And then one day, Bill woke up with his hands chapped with deep cracks in them, like they'd been slashed with razor blades. What? He's in a lot of pain. It stops him from painting. And he's in pain for months and months and months. They're all like kind of like deep, oh. like deep cracks and like dry, you know. Oh. So he's in a real state. And then the next person to turn up is another expert, but it's a different kind of expert. It's Dickie Dodds, the dowser. Who? <laughs> What? Dickie Dodds turns up. He's a dowser. Dickie the dowser. Do you know what a dowser is? It's a very uh, traditional Australian thing too where the indigenous people, yeah, they have the divining rods, sometimes an L shape, a wishbone shape or an L shape, Mm. yeah. And you hold them together and they clap together when they've come across either water Mm. or in Dickie's case, he's looking for Ley lines. Uh-oh. He loves the ley lines. He's not into supernatural. He's into the ley lines. He's a very big believer of this. And he showed the couple on a map how St. Michael's Mountain Cornwall joins with Glastonbury Tor and Avebury Stone Circle and Bury St. Edmund's Abbey. And they're all lined up in straight lines because they're all built on the ley. Is that true? 
I'd like to look that yes, up. Yes, it's true. That's a fact. So that's an unusual fact that makes people go, oh, wow, maybe there's something in this. Yeah. He was certain that Hale Fanuc was sitting on top of a powerful ley line and his dowsing rods led him to the spot in the house where most of the activity was occurring. Oh, shit. And then he said that there's another line that crossed where the electricity meter was. So to him, that was the good enough reason, yep. as far as he's concerned. My rods don't lie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my rods don't lie. <laughs> ba, ba, do, ba, do. So he found what he thought was like lines crossing. And that's why the electricity meter's just freaking out. And he explains to the couple that the Earth's energy is strong and can cause paranormal experiences and disturbances of the mind. Because just through the power. The power of the Earth's Earth core. Yeah. So anyway, he told Rich that the property was built on something called Black Streams. Now, we were talking about this in another episode. Yes. Black Streams under the property. This was in the Sex Demons episode. Yes, last week. He said that they were particularly strong in the barn and this could be deadly. And he himself had had experience with black streams beneath the property. Him and his wife had found this beautiful property they were absolutely in love with. And they were experiencing some illnesses and unpleasantness. He began dowsing at that point and he discovered that their house was above a black stream. And his wife got cancer. No. And he blamed it on the black stream. He says that radiation from an underground stream can cause all sorts of illnesses. And he says the dark energy that's underneath... Hail Fanag is probably what caused the animals to go mad. Yes, I can see that. You believe that. You say it like you believe that, you fool. So you believe it. So at Dickie's house, when he found out that there was black streams underneath, he and his wife moved and he was at this point begging the couple to do the same thing because once they moved, his wife got better. But the lady who took the house after them, she also got sick. That is so scary, but... Most normal people are like, I'm getting the fuck away from this house. Yeah. As far as Dickie Dodds was concerned, it was a no-brainer. This is what made my wife sick. This is what made that person sick. I mean, it could be confirmation bias. It really yes. could. I'm not saying that it's true. And I'm not saying that I believe this. But Dickie did. Obviously, the couple were open, absolutely open to hearing any explanation. You know, they'd already had some paranormal experts in. When Dickie got there, he's saying, this is what you need to do. You have to go. Either do that or find out the cause by looking back into Hale Fanag's past. Well, at this point, if I'm correct, the family's been there for, give or take, 14-odd years. No, they've been there for two years. When they turned up, their stepson was 14. I thought they'd been there and the newborn son was 14. No. They've been in there about 18 months at this point. Okay. We are chatting supernatural. Supernatural. So Dickie's last words to them was either leave, I beg you, mm. or get to the bottom of it. Look into the past, what's happened. You know, oh, shit. so Beth and Morgan gets back on the case, the local historian, and she sees a pattern with all the former residents in the whole area. So she did notice that people never seem to stay very long and death, violence and, dis and disputes were rife in the area. Right. So poor old Liz and Rich, Bill Rich, sorry, Liz and Bill Rich, they're still living in this house with their children and the energy in the house is just so strong. Mm. One day, Liz and her children, so the kids are about two and three by now, they saw a tall, grey, faceless shadow figure walking down the hall towards her. And that, Michelle, was it for her. She was so scared. And the whole family jumped in the car that very minute and they drove 50 miles to her mother's place. And that was that for the time being. Because when they got there, they felt they could breathe a sigh of relief. Her mum's house was big and they had a baby monitor in the kids' room. And one night, Liz heard the kids chattering away and she sent Bill in to make them be quiet. And she heard him go in and she heard the chattering. And when he came back, he said, they're, they're fast asleep. <gasps> she said, but I heard you go in. Oh my I heard God. the talking. Oh, my God. And they could still hear the talking on the monitor. And they were like, fuck this. It's followed us. Yep. Oh, my God. Do you remember we talked about the water demons yep. 
and it followed to the mother-in-law's house. This is exactly what's happening here. Bill, at this point, is feeling quite desperate. And he goes back to Hale Fanag for more drinking and painting. And he started doing some really distressing paintings made of his own blood, lots of eyes, handprints, really dark fare. And then in 1991, so this is, like I said, only a couple Mm. of years later, there's a Reverend David Holmwood and his partner in crime, an ex-Satanist called Anita, who turn up to try and rid the house of the demons. Okay. They separate Bill and Liz, which they're not happy about. They have like one in each room. I think Liz goes with Anita and David goes with Bill to show him around the house and where all the activity is. And he's like, you know what? I can see the fucking devil right here. As far as they're concerned, it's the devil. And while they're walking around, Reverend David looks at these awful paintings. He said, look, the devil is painting through you. This is not on. These dark pictures with all the eyes, it's weird. Have you always painted like this? He said, no. He said, you're being used as a conduit. Oh, yuck. I know. And then there's a scream and Anita calls them down. They get there. Liz is possessed. Whoa. I'm sorry. I shouldn't laugh. Oh, my God. It's not funny. (laughs) It is funny. Liz is possessed. Wouldn't you know it? Liz is possessed. She's just got to got herself possessed. She's furious about it when she talks to Danny Robbins years later. She said it's awful, you know. She's furious. She was overtaken by a demon. And Bill's frightened and he can hear her speaking in a weird voice. And it's just bizarre. So they they yell it out of her and it goes or whatever. Maybe it's an old wives' tale. And this is disgusting. I'm sorry, people. This is revolting. But it's just a story. I'm just relaying what I've heard. If you... Eat and shit at the same time. What? Your orifices Orifices. are both open and you allow bad spirits in. I'm serious. You're not meant to eat and shit at the same time. Who does that? Yeah, I know. I mean, it's like peeing in the shower. Who does that? Well, it's not quite like peeing in the shower, Michelle. It's one step too far. Nobody wants to eat a steak while they're taking a shit. No. That's what I heard, that if you're eating and shitting at the same time, bad spirits can get in. I don't believe that. Maybe that happened to Liz. She was on the toot having a sandwich. No, I don't think that's... <laughs> I'm not sure, but I'm pretty sure that's not what happened. Okay. She's been possessed and not because she was eating and using the lavatory at the same time. At this point, Bill is thinking it's something to do with him. And he's feeling very, very guilty. He's wondering if he's done something in his past to bring this on the family. And while you're listening to this series, you're thinking, what is it? What? Come on, tell us. Yes. What? What's happening? Because honestly, I do feel Bill should feel guilty because he was told he sent his right kid from away. the beginning. Well, he was told right from the was beginning him? that the dark energy was attached to mm. him and he didn't do anything about it. Yeah, well, I think they were just trying to live their lives and I don't know, it was tri- mm. it was tricky. Anywho, around this point, Bill feels himself being overtaken at times by it. He suddenly found a knife one day and he, he had to really try really hard not to cut himself and then he put it in the drawer, but then he found it back again. All these awful things, it's like he's going mad. But at one point, Danny Robbins himself is speaking to an artist friend of the couple called Robert McDonald, who remembers going out there to Hale Fanick when all this was going on. You know, it even made it to the papers, Michelle. I thought you just said Ronald McDonald. <laughs> Robert McDonald, <laughs> not Ronald. And it, so he's an artist friend. He turns up and he found trouble, trouble with his car, trouble with his torch. Everything was going wrong. And when he got there, he was convinced that Bill and Liz were winding each other up to the point where they were both seeing things and feeling mm. things and they were the cause. He thought it was like, you know, that folie adieu when it's like a, a double madness where people are kind of going through the same madness at the same time. It's been documented. It's a thing. Right. But while he was talking to Danny Robbins, he casually mentioned something about being a painter, which is actually really significant. He said that he had to stop painting, Robert, right? Robert McDonald. Yeah. He said that he had to stop painting after getting very sick from using cadmium and lead paints because they're very poisonous. They can offer a range of side effects. And Danny wondered, could this be the cause of Bill's hand injuries and maybe some of the things that he's experiencing in the house? Well, he was going mad because of cadmium poisoning. Cadmium and lead poisoning, exactly. So perhaps we've got an answer there. But why is she seeing it? So moving swiftly along, you know, the years go by. They bought a dog, which is a bit ridiculous because they've already seen about eight animals go mad and die. But despite this, they bought the bloody dog. 
this dog became unwell and obviously, you know, because it's going to be possessed. So Liz took it to the vet and the vet and Liz got talking. And this vet had a very strange story to share when she heard that Liz lived at Hale Fanuc. She said that she'd been friends with a former tenant. And she said that often she would house sit when her friend was living there. The friend had never, ever experienced anything. Liz thought, oh, well, that must be me then. I must be mad. But the vet then said, well, no, my friend never experienced anything. But when I was house sitting, I bloody did. Oh, shit. Yeah. She said that she hated it there because she'd sit there. She'd be sitting there and she could hear footsteps exactly like Bill and Liz would. And she was convinced that somebody was in the house. Also around this time, the BBC News went to interview them. And while they were recording in the house, there was a roar. And no, Danny Robbins couldn't get his hands on the tape. But everybody in that room heard the roar. The sound recorders ripped his headphones off. Everybody was shocked. Wow. Where the fuck was that coming from? No one knows. And then there was another incident. I'm just kind of documenting all the incidences, really, that Mm. happened throughout those years. Liz, she had cats at this point. She heard a loud snoring at night, night after night. And she was really annoyed. She thought it was a cat. And Bill was up painting somewhere. And she thought it was a cat under her bed. So she'd go and look under the cat and say, shoo, shoo, whatever. But it wasn't there. And eventually it got really, really loud and it started to scare her. So she screamed for Bill. He came in and he could hear it too. And he went to look out the window. And as he did so, the snoring sound followed him. No. Yeah. Out of all the horrible things that happened to Liz, that is the thing that terrified her the most. Really? Yeah. Even after being possessed. (laughs) Sorry, I don't know why it's funny. Exactly. Why do you keep laughing when we talk about her being possessed, poor woman? I don't know. You'll like this one because it goes back to your water demon. Pools of water would inexplicably appear in the bedroom and reappear the next day. And even while they're at her mother's, they found an ancient looking necklace under the coffee table. And when Bill picked it up, he got an electric shock. (gasps) No. All of this shit's going on to these poor people all the time. I mean, what are the chances? Now... (laughs) Beth and Morgan, the historian, she discovered some more information about Hale Fanuc. In 1848, there was a terrible murder. There was a servant boy who was axe murdered by his friend and he had half his skull caved in, but took a whole day to die. And his oh. friend took the blame, but there was doubt over whether it was really him. Right. Very strange. So then years later, they get another ghost hunter turn up. This guy's the real deal, according to them. His name's Eddie Burke ghost hunter he comes in 1995 after six years of terror he was actually brought in by robert mcdonald the artist yeah because he read about him having worked in coots bank the queen's bank because Mm. apparently they were being bothered by a headless ghost which made the news and eddie burke turned up and he got rid of it so everyone was happy again so if it's good enough for the queen's bank it should be good enough for hal fanick so they got him in and uh, he explained that, you know, having all these priests and mediums and people turning up, they're basically mirrors of what they want to see. So when the priest turns up, he sees the devil. When the paranormal experts turn up, they see witches and whatnot. But for Eddie, he's not looking for ghosts. He's listening. He's listening to see who's there. Right. He wants to find out. He wants to know who's there. What do you want to tell me? So that's what he did. He got himself into a ghosty state so he could have a chat. And he immediately found the lad. So they're like, oh, my God, that's the guy that was murdered. Yep. And he said that there was two lads there, but the first one was really eager to talk and he's waited a long time to tell his story. So he did. And he kind of like was chatting to the couple as it was happening. He was kind of talking to them as he was hearing it. He told Bill and Liz that this lad is saying that he was by the old manor house, which is attached to Hale Fanning, Yeah. And he was meeting a girl who didn't show. So he walked home through Hale Fanuc, and as he did, he came across a group of people doing something awful to a woman. <gasps> so he ran and ran, and he went home, and he told his friend James, who is James Griffith, the friend who was accused of murdering Thomas, they assume. Yeah. And the next night he got blind drunk, and he went down the pub and he told everyone what he saw, which was stupid because it got back to people. Yep. So then these people, who were the perpetrators of what he saw they forced james on pain of death to him and his family to kill his friend oh my god so that's what james did but as he did this is what the boy's telling them as he went to kill me he was crying and apologizing as he swung the axe oh jesus 
So he got to tell his story, but then James was there and he wanted to speak. And he said he didn't speak out at his trial because he'd been told that these people would save him right up to the point where he was hanged for the crime. Oh, my God. What Thomas, the previous boy, had seen that night was actually the owner of the manor house and all his cronies. They had to shut up Thomas because James was involved. They had to shut him up as well. So they got James to kill Thomas and then they made sure that James died for the crime. Even though they said that, you know, we'll save you, we'll save you, don't worry, we're the landowners and whatnot. What do you think they were doing? Do you think it was human sacrifice? Murdering or raping? Yeah. Raping, murdering? Raping, murdering. So these two lads died to save these horrible people, yeah. Yeah. So after the stories were told and they got to the bottom of the history of Hale Fanag, Eddie Burke, the ghost hunter, he left and the electricity bill suddenly went back to a normal price. No. And the next few days and weeks and months became... Like a ghosty rush hour, Michelle, because he'd opened a bloody portal, hadn't he? And they were coming and going. He opened a portal for them to go through, these boys, which they did. But it was left open and all these apparitions were coming through. Bill and Liz had never seen so many ghosts. They said it was like ghost rush hour. (laughs) (laughs) Peak hour in the manor. They were all heading through this portal to leave the earthly plane. But then after that stopped, things were really good for Bill and Rich and the family for a while until one day they heard that familiar whiz of the electric meter and the footsteps were back. And a heartbroken Bill finally confessed his dark secret to his wife of why he felt it was nothing to do with the house. It was nothing to do with anything else. It was him that had brought the dark energy because when he was in his 20s and he was a student, he met a witch in their group house who took a shine to him. And he was a bloody famous witch at that. His name was Alex Sanders. He was a famous British occultist of the time who, along with his wife, Maxine Sanders, created their own Alexandrian witchcraft during the 60s. And he took Bill under his wing, promised him a successful career if he wanted to join the group, kind of Wiccan group, if you like. So he went for it and they had a ceremony in a basement and Bill was naked and blindfolded while the witches chanted and held a dagger to his heart. But at one point, he can't see what's going on here. But also, how fucking terrifying. You're naked, dick to the wind with a a blindfold. (laughs) No, but really. And all you know is that they're all chanting and whatever. That's a lot of trust. It is a lot of trust. Absolutely. Well, he didn't trust in the end. He pulled out. He said, I've had enough. No, this is it. Stop. I want to stop now. But the problem is, it was too late. All of this energy had been kind of whipped up and the portals were opened and that was the end of it. So Danny was really interested about this part of the story. So he tracked down Maxine Sanders. (gasps) And he asked her, and you can Google these people are definitely real and they are definitely very well known in the occult world. Mm -hmm. So he asked Maxine Sanders if she remembered this occasion. She said absolutely she did because he was the only one to ever pull out like that. And she often wondered what happened to him. So she wasn't surprised when she heard what happened to Bill Rich because she said the power that had been raised from within him through the ceremony, it couldn't be shut off and it could be enough to turn his mind because it opened up something within him. So that's how he felt responsible. Did they move out? No, they toughed it out for eight years in the end until Liz inherited some money and they were able to buy their own home. But Bill was always troubled and he hit the bottle Mm. hard, was drinking special brew from 11am in the morning. Their marriage fell apart. His daughter said, you know, it was a long time for him to be in such a bad place. Eventually he drank himself to death. Michelle, it's very sad. That is very sad. Yeah. But do you think he pulled out of the the witch ceremony because he was like I don't want to be a Wiccan I don't want to be a witch I'm yeah because it's quite a commitment I think he freaked out I think if you're young you don't really know what you're committing to no and then he suddenly maybe had that realization like I imagine when people throw themselves off a bridge and then halfway down they're like I don't want to do it oh change my mind (laughs) that's awful (laughs) (laughs) you can't say that so the new owners of Hale Fanning they decided not to be part of this podcast series people are living there to this day. God. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, and all of the experts, they did pipe up throughout that because I'm imagining quite a few listeners thinking, oh, bullshit, I'm or whatever. Bullshit. I'm calling it. 
or coming up with their own theories. And I'm sure, in fact, I know it because I heard the listeners write in and what they had to say, you know, and a lot of the experts were saying things like, were they cursed or was it just a self-fulfilling prophecy? Were there false memories going on? Were they absolutely knackered from being new parents? Was it cognitive (laughs) dissidence? And talking about Amityville, could it be a fraud as well? Because Amityville was a fraud, they say. Was it? Well, you know that there was a murder in that house. In That's what happened first. There was, I think it's Ronnie, Ronnie DeFeo, the teenage son of this family. He killed his parents and siblings and then claimed that the devil made him do it. That was his defence. So then the family called the Lutzes moved in, which is what all the books and the TV series on the movie stuff and the franchise was based on. They then told people of all these things that went on, very similar to what I've just told you what happened in Hale Fanag. They were having a terrible time of it. I think it was maybe proved, I'm not sure, that they were in cahoots with DeFeo's defence team so that they could get him off by saying, yes, it is haunted. The kid was definitely under the influence of the devil. It's the house. It's not him. That's what they think. I'm not sure 100%. They do say that that house is built on an indigenous burial ground, the Amityville. Yeah, I wonder if that's actually true. But wow, what a journey. Well, if you're interested in more, there is going to be an hour-long live bonus episode in early February. You can get tickets and go and sit in the audience and see the handsome Danny Robbins and all the gang chit-chatting about the Hale Fanag real-life hauntings. Which farm? Look, not only hear what they have to say, but people always have great theories. Yeah. So I think that would be really fascinating. I wonder the new owners, if they're experiencing any paranormal anything. Because, you know, obviously Bill thinks it was him. Yeah. But strange shit was going on in that house before. There is a lot of evidence of it happening. Another thing that people had said in the catch-ups, kind of like, let's hear what you guys think about this story. People had said things like, that Welsh farmer, was he trying to put them off? He comes along quite early in the story and tells them, you know, your house is made out of burial stones. And then, because he hates the English being there, you know, they can wind them up. Yeah. But also, you think about our story where we talked about the Talarui, what happened in that story was someone just wanted to get their hands on the property. Yeah. Yeah. So you just don't Maybe. know what people's motivations are. Yeah, exactly. I like to keep an open mind, Michelle. <laughs> and you do. And honestly, what a great story. Thanks. I actually do want to look into that. It was a thrilling week-to-week thing. And Danny Robbins tries to give you a little fright at the end of the episodes, but it doesn't work on me. <laughs> He's not scary enough. You're immune, you old. Hard, you're hardened bitch. I am. You don't get scared by anything. I'm a Christmas bitch. I'm hoping that everybody has happy holidays. I know you're not allowed to say Merry Christmas anymore, really, are you? You have to say Happy Holidays because it's very inclusive now. Yeah. Merry Christmas to all our eavesdroppers. And you know what comes next, Geordie. Yes, I think I do. Is it wherever you are? Whatever you do, just, just keep, keep eavesdropping. 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 Eavesdropping.